So hello everyone, um, my name's Jack Conlon from Glasgow. I am very passionate about music. I've been a band called Bad Hombres and uh, recently started a Scottish music podcast in August of 2019, which has kind of been where a lot of my time's been going recently. So that's just been involving interviewing some very interesting people, artists, uh, venue owners, promoters, managers, everybody kind of in between the Scottish music industry and just getting their sort of unique perspectives and insights on everything that's happened to them in the industry to date. So that's been going really well. I'm enjoying it and I'm here to talk about it. Brilliant. Do you want to start off by promoting your podcast just so uh, we can get people? Can it be? Yes, can it be? A wee cheeky bit of self-promotion, man. Um, yeah, so you can get Telt Podcast. So Telt is spelled T-E-L-T Podcast. So we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our handles are all Telt Podcast, T-E-L-T Podcast. And you can also access the podcast on whatever platform you get your podcast from, whether that be Spotify, Apple Music, it's mainly where I access my podcasts and all the rest of them. So just search for TELT, T-E-L-T, and you'll find us there and hopefully you like the content. Perfect. I love the name, by the way. What was the inspiration? I mean, like, I, I feel like that's a inherently Scottish word, TELT, but... Yeah, no, definitely is, man. I think, um, I don't know, I just, whenever I... I I thought about doing the podcast. I thought it should have quite a catchy name. And obviously it being a Scottish music podcast and me being a Scottish musician, I thought it had to almost have that that Scottishness to the name. So there was a couple of different words I was kind of thinking about. I mind I was going to call it Havering at one point. You know, this, um, what they called the Proclaimers, I'll be the man that's Havering to you. I thought that was quite good. Um, but then I realized somebody had already called their podcast that. So I was like, oh God, where do I go from, where do I go from, from here? And then I had Sapnin. So as in what's happening, I always say to my mates when I see them, it's happening, mate. Um, so when, I'm pretty sure when we released the first episode, I was just about to release the first episode. Um, that was like what all the socials were, Sapnin podcast. Right. And then some, somehow someone on Twitter had seen Sapnin and tagged another guy with a podcast, which was also called Sapnin, which is like an English music podcast. But it's, it had like thousands of followers, and the guy was like, "This is a, this is a disgrace, man! Like you shouldn't be doing that." And I was like, "Oh my god, like, sorry, mate, I wasn't aware of the podcast or anything like that. Not trying to steal your, steal your glory." So at that point, it was kind of third time lucky, and it just kind of came to me. Tell it just almost made so much sense at the time, and obviously, the podcast itself people telling their stories. So tell kind of makes sense man and i think most people that listen to podcasts like it yeah yeah i like it um so how many episodes have you done oh god um i think almost 30 episodes i think man um so we've got like a couple of different ones we've got like the regular series which is like interviewing musicians that are involved in the music scene and promoters and stuff like that and i've also got like a special series as well where i interview people that maybe aren't necessarily involved with Scottish music so on that I've had like Simon Ferry from Open Goal podcast I've had Gordon Smart from Radio X etc the sun and stuff like that and I've also had Sean McDonald from Blethered podcast on which has pretty, been pretty cool and then also in the special series we do like kind of topical debates where we discuss like issues that are affecting music and society as a whole so right. maybe maybe not too different from what your podcast does but we just kind of do that as like maybe a special one but more we have music focus so it's not really interviews it's just a couple of mates discussion discussing some things so i about 30 episodes all in roughly i think yeah. have you got a favorite episode so far oh uh, um like the most prob- podcast yeah like um 
I've loved all of them, man. Like for me, one of my f- my favorite one at the time was when I interviewed Cy Ferry from Open Goal because one of Open Goal, if nobody's heard of it, it's basically Simon Ferry used to be. Well, he's currently a star football player, but he used to play with Celtic, and he's got all these great connections within game. So I think if anyone's into football, they know that when footballers are getting interviewed, they're not necessarily the most forth- forthcoming. Um, whether that be because they've got contractual obligations to not speak about things. But Sai, because he's a football player, he can almost get like really good chat out loads of people that are involved in football. So that was kind of where the idea for my podcast came from because I'm a musician and I know loads of people within the industry. I thought, right, it'll maybe be easier for me interviewing them because I can maybe understand where they're coming from a bit more. But I met him in a pub in Dundee and it was it was weird because he's not like this big famous guy or anything, but He's famous in the podcasting world, so when I, I seen him, I was like, oh, I need to go up and speak to him. And honestly, there's very few people I would ever do that for, but I mean, I, I had a couple of pints at that point, but I just went up and spoke to him and was like, listen, mate, you're a big influence in my podcast, like, uh, just wanted to come up and tell you that. And he just started asking me about it, and I told him who I'd had on and what it was about, and he was like, do you want me to come on? And I was like, what? And he, he was like, aye, aye, give me your phone, I'll put my phone number in. And he stuck his phone number in and believe it or not, he came over. He just had finished doing a, a cooking show with Frank McIverney at Hamden Park and then came all the way over here. So that was class. But um, I even just once, like, I'd done one with a guy called Matt Hickman from a band called Brown Bear, which was really good. I didn't really know Matt that well beforehand, but spoke to him a bit before the podcast as as we just done there and just got on really well with them. And the interview didn't really go the way I expected it to. Like in the first like, 30 minutes, we like, just ended up speaking about loads of issues in the music scene in terms of like discrimination against minorities and how to get better representation for women in minority groups. And it was just really, really interesting, man. But honestly, everyone, all the interviews have been great so far, man. Can't really fault anyone. Everyone's been like very forthcoming and willing to speak about a lot of things. And yeah. obviously the panel discussions have been really good as well. Like the last one I told you about that we just done one on bands breaking up. That was quite uh, quick, cathartic, quite emotional. But I was, I was really happy with that because a few of the boys had Craig Milroy from Sway coming on who were really big in Glasgow at a point and uh, Dylan Squire from Heavy Rapids as well. So both their bands broke up very recently and they were really, I was quite worried before it because I was, was thinking obviously when bands break up, a lot of people don't really want to say things in the public sphere, but fair play to the boys who are really open and honest and I was, I was brilliant, man. So I'd probably say those, those kind of three podcasts are the ones that stood out to me, but like I said, everyone's everyone's been great so far, so can't have any complaints. Yeah, good to hear. What about uh, what about some people you would like to have on the podcast? Oh God! All right, are we going to? And then who are some of those like really out there goals? Right. Okay. Right. That's a good question, man. Right. I'm going to give you ones that almost seem out with out with realistic chance, but I'd love to get. I'd love to interview Johnny Marman. Like Johnny Marr for the Smiths, he's my favourite guitar player of all time. He's a guy that kind of got me into playing the guitar and the Smiths my favourite band. So it'd be amazing to interview him, even though he's not Scottish, doesn't really bother me. Um, <laughs> You'll make an exception. Yeah, i definitely make an exception for him, man. Um, I try to think, it'd be brilliant to interview um, Paolo Nettini. I think he'd be quite interesting to interview, man. I'm, he'd probably be stoned the whole time, but I feel like he's got some some interesting anecdotes to share, man. He would be brilliant. Um, Alex Capranos for Franz Ferdinand. He would be a dream to get. I have emailed him. I have emailed Franz Ferdinand's manager, trying to get them on, but not had any emails back yet. So I don't know. Maybe I'll need to bridge a wee gap before I get in there, but he would be brilliant, man. A big fan of Fratelli's as well. would be amazing. 
Um, I try to think global musicians. Who who would you want to interview in your podcast? A global musician, if you could. Um. Oh. Oh man, you put me on the spot. Usually, I'm the one asking the questions. <laughs> oh, I want to talk to. Probably like someone really, really like big, like Kanye West or something ridiculous. I was going to say him there because he he says a lot of controversial things. That I think I would disagree with. So if you have him on, regardless of what he does or says, because he's going to do something crazy. Yeah, totally, man. I think Capaldi would be really good as well. Lewis Capaldi, man, he's hilarious, and I think you'd get good chat with him as well, just because be almost Scottish connection. Yeah. I know people that know him, so. I don't know. Maybe it's in the works. Who knows? But <laughs> I will see, man. But I there's probably so many people that I'd love to get on that I've not mentioned. But um, I've got a couple of things in the works now with bigger artists. So fingers crossed they they, they pull them off. Yeah. But if not, then there's the good thing about the podcast is talking about music, something you're passionate about, and everyone's passionate about. So people are usually always happy to talk to you. So mm-hmm. I we'll see what happens, man. Yeah, well, good luck. I hope you get it. I mean, I'm fingers crossed, mate. Audience, come on, like, tweet them or something. Like, I, wish, <laughs> I want to be at that level where I can just be like, "Yo, hit up this guy and, and get him on the podcast," and that's that. We should we should just get everyone that listens to this podcast just to like at Kanye West on Twitter and just like flood them with messages, man, saying get on volumes. <laughs> can you even have social media? Isn't he like an omniscient being at this point? He, he's just a cloud that floats about, like. I don't know. I'm he really... probably is. He probably is. What's your What's your opinion on him? Like, I'm I'm not really into his music. Not Not. It's not to say like I know everyone kind of respects him as this this almost genius and the genre he's in, and I totally respect that. But I don't know. I just kind of look at him as a guy. And I mean, they came out with a comment. It must have been It must have been a couple of years ago now, and it was it's on YouTube. If you you find that, and he was basically talking about how, um, in terms of American history, that he found it hard to believe that black people would accept being slaves for hundreds of years. And it was just like this whole ridiculous thing. And the guy called him out on it and absolutely tore him to pieces. It was, it was brilliant, man. But it's the type of thing, like, does he believe what he says or is he just saying things for outrage? That's the question. I know you were talking about when he's in the uh, TMZ offices or whatever. Yeah. That's the one, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, who knows, is he just doing it for the controversy or is he just caught up in his own hype? I don't know. Like, that's, that's a very uh, relevant subject to be talking about, to be honest. Um, I don't know. Going on. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Just uh, that this is a relevant thing to, to bring up. I, I find it really strange that really, really large uh, black celebrities like Kanye West hasn't, like, haven't said anything about what's going on right now. So that makes you, or makes me wonder, like how, like is he someone that cares about the people, or has he lost touch with that? Is he just this, like? Yeah. Uh, I think you, you almost, you almost are concerned that the, the sort of kind of bigger global artists who have this this reach of hundreds of millions of people, you almost feel that they're too scared to say something, or they've got a label that's saying you can't risk alienating lots of people. But I always think that's a shame, man, because for me, like using your, your platform as an artist, whatever whatever kind of level of platform that is, it's so important to use it to highlight social issues, especially during these times, and obviously absolutely crazy things are happening in America. And I don't know, for Kanye West, just to, I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he can't, for me, I don't think he can, you can't justify not supporting that and yeah. leading calls for petitions and all the rest of that because 
at the end of the day, millions and millions of his fans are African Americans and they're being persecuted in America, which is it's absolutely sickening. And for him not to stand up for that, especially when he's a massive part of that culture, um, it's I honestly it makes your skin crawl. It genuinely something that really really sits uneasy with me that he's not said anything about it. I suppose uh, he is friends with Donald Trump, and that might that there you um, but just talking about that idea of like having that sort of like level of audience and then being almost skilled to say something in case you like create this ripple effect and, and change the world around you. I always think about like, I don't even remember the exact fact. I don't even remember if it was like Kylie Jenner or Kendall Jenner, what the full deal was. But I remember reading something like they said they didn't really like Snapchat or something mm-hmm. like that. And then that made Snapchat lose like 2 billion overnight because really what's that meant many users because they're like oh if kylie jenner doesn't like it i'm gonna delete this app and then all this like advertisement money went down um and that's that would be scary to have that level of power where you can just say something just just a throwaway comment and then have that big an effect on something totally man there's like a massive responsibility on artists to use that platform wisely like you look at people like obviously i speak about this quite often because it it's something that's impacting me like the whole smith's morrissey thing where morrissey makes ridiculous sweeping racist racist fascist statements and issues support for these right-wing groups in britain it's it's like the bounty damage that he can do with that because he is someone who is idolized by a lot of people i mean obviously he's this massive sex icon from the 80s and loads of people are in love with him but it's, it's that way does he even realize that how he he conducts himself has an impact in modern day life and how it can actually influence people's decisions. And I think like, uh, even like, cause we're talking about this, I was on Twitter the other day and I seen, I think the YouTuber Jake Paul basically put a video out um, and it was brilliant. Like I'm not, I'm not really into him. I don't really watch YouTubers that much Fair play to them doing what they're doing. But he basically was, he went, he spoke for a couple of minutes about how it's, it's not enough just to be not racist you need to be actively anti-racist and do your part to help out and he, he was brilliant but he got a lot of a lot of slagging for it on on social media saying oh it looks like he's just reading off a piece of paper it doesn't really it sound well, i don't think anyone has said they didn't believe what he was saying but they were almost saying like he wasn't qualified to talk about it and i thought it was ridiculous because he is someone that's got a lot of reach and a lot of influence and yeah, yeah. even if he can just almost bring that conversation up it's, it's massively important for his audience as well yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's a weird way of looking at it. Isn't it better that even if he didn't mean it and he just did it to fit in, isn't it better he was saying that than saying something that's counterintuitive? Like at yeah, least totally. something, it might maybe not be coming from a, a, as genuine a place as it seems, or it might actually be coming from a very genuine place. It's hard to tell through a video, but mm-hmm. again, isn't that better to be on that side of the agenda than the other? Yeah, totally. And I don't know if you... Oh, you must have seen it on social media on Tuesday. There was a whole like, blackout Tuesday thing where everyone was posting like, black squares on their Instagram. And I wasn't going to do it at first because for me, I, I felt like a lot of people were just doing it so they weren't that guy that didn't do it type of thing. And I wasn't really sure how much of a difference it made. And I wasn't going to do it. And I spoke to my girlfriend about it and she'd done it. And she was like, well, actually, if you think about it, what this is, is it's about raising awareness and sure people are doing it for the wrong things and but see if you use the platform you've got whether it's on instagram or twitter or facebook 
even if it's not a big platform, like if you can make a, a good point about it and direct people towards petitions or direct, direct people towards something that's going to be educational, then you should definitely take that chance. Even though people are doing it for the wrong reasons, you can do it for the right reason. And yeah. that spoke to me because it was like, well, it only takes one person who's maybe not heard about this that they can maybe get more read up on it and be an active vehicle for change, if you get me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, do you, what are your opinions on the, uh, the protests that were going to happen in Glasgow this weekend? I mean, yeah. Um, a good I, 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 they're obviously really well-intentioned protests, man. Totally well-intentioned. Yeah, yeah, like, there's nothing more important than showing solidarity with comrades in any country, no matter where they're from, no matter what race, creed, nationality showing solidarity is so important so i think everyone that wanted to go to that is so well intentioned but obviously these are everyone keeps saying it unprecedented times and we're in the midst of a global pandemic the likes of which we've we've never seen before and oh it's hard to say right because i wouldn't almost want to say there's a time and a place for it but there's it's almost like it's never the right time to protest like that's what the government will always tell you like oh you shouldn't be protesting now you shouldn't be protesting now so I am. I'm. I'm almost very torn about it. But what I would say is, if you, I think the protest has been called off now. I'm not. I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure I've seen that somewhere. The protest has been called off. But um, yeah, it's that way. With protest in these times, you're risking bringing that back to people who maybe wouldn't like to go and protest as a result of it. So yeah. it's maybe is it maybe a selfish thing by turning up to the protest? Because, I mean, you're doing it for totally the right thing, but I think people are maybe forgetting that in the midst of this global pandemic, what's to stop you from picking something up there? And then you go to a shop where someone's just went in for their weekly shop and they pick it up off of you and who knows what can happen for their man. So if it has been called off, I think that is the right thing at the end of the day because safety is probably the most important. What are you thinking about it? Well, right off the bat, I was going. Undoubtedly, I was going. <clears throat> I wanted to show my support. Um, and, yeah, I want, I want, I'd rather be on the side of change that rather than the side of do nothing or, or, you know, not change, I guess. But then someone pointed out to me that this, this could end up making the situation that's going on with uh, COVID-19 worse which in turn might put people who are in those kind of unfortunate positions or in a sort of lower financial status in society and in a worse situation again. Yeah. Which would then, what would be the point? Like what would be the achieving by giving these people less opportunity again? Uh, not just specifically black people at all, just this like, I suppose that the movement is like a sort of like anti-fascist movement. So, mm-hmm. To then put the people at the bottom level of fascism down further, what would you know? What would be like? We would be achieving the goal in which we'd be protesting for. Yeah, totally. And I think obviously the report came out the other day that people from sort of black and ethnic minority groups are. I think it's like up to two times more likely to die from symptoms of COVID as well. So there is that. And don't get me wrong, I would, I would absolutely love to go, man. Like. I love going to these these types of events and showing support, and I think it is so important. Um, but again, it's just it's just kind of, I mean, I, I'm saying it's came at the wrong time, but can't really predict when these things are going to happen. But if a protest doesn't go ahead, people should still definitely keep showing support for it in social social media, 
keep signing petitions, keep reading books, getting yourself educated in the matter. And then when the time's come for us to bring social gatherings back, then we can all go go down to George Square and do it. And I'll definitely be there joining them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose something like this, it's sort of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back situation where maybe something like this wouldn't be happening right now if we weren't in lockdown. And because it shows, I, I guess lockdowns kind of showed that and especially the US, the government aren't really there looking after the people that are vulnerable. And that's maybe amplified why uh, the protests and riots are taking place right now. And I mean, it's I think, as well. Yeah, I think as well, like the whole lockdown situation, like millions of people across the world have, have been absolutely financially crippled by it. Um, yeah. Lost their jobs, can't afford to pay for food, their rent and stuff like that as well. And that's just going to in itself create a natural kind of anger within everyone and I think obviously like you said the straw that broke the camel's back I mean a sort of thing's been happening to people in America for for years and it's an absolute disgrace and I think it's just almost like an eruption of these kind of two two angles have just culminated in these mental protests but I mean I, this is crazy times we're living in absolutely crazy times and the way that government treats its people and the way that police state treats its people is it, it, sickening and not even that instant alone. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's been thousands of incidents of police brutality before that, but seeing the whole Trump administration sort of angle the whole things towards more violence and it's almost the, the classic image of the fascist boot stamping on the, the throat, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, they've just kind of responding to these protests with absolute violence like you see videos on twitter of people who aren't even involved in it getting smashed in the face by batons tear gas fired at them and yeah. it's, it's it's very stupid it's, it's something like out in 1984 or brave new world where a totalitarian, totalitarian state is it's nearing its end yeah. i mean i would like to hope so i'd like to be optimistic and i've seen some again you can tell i've been on twitter a lot because i keep mentioning it as <laughs> lockdown however so i think i'm allowed to be but um I seen somebody, I think it might have been Declan Welsh actually tweeted about um like kind of everyone being a bit pessimistic about these protests, like oh what are what are they going to change? Like how how realistic is it that we're going to achieve any sort of lasting social outcome from this? And he made a good point, like that pessimism is built into you by the state to almost tell you that any sort of protest or you I, like in exercising your democratic rights is never going to work. And it definitely made me think about it, man. I think we actually need to be more optimistic about these things because I don't think any sort of lasting social change has ever been brought about without like protests and people being very angry at the government about things. So I think the important thing is actually be optimistic about it. And I'm one of the guys that are most guilty for being pessimistic because like I love like see these totalitarian books like 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451. Like they almost paint a very dire picture of what's going to happen if people protest but need to be optimistic about it and fingers crossed that we can actually get some lasting social change out of this and hopefully get more people educated on the, the topics that's a that's actually a really interesting like sort of point of view as well I've, I've not really thought about it like that but i guess you're kind of right in saying that it's protesting is sort of seen as this like it's like barbaric like on sort of like controllable situation, you know? I don't know, that's interesting. Yeah. Never thought about it like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like that, that, that pessimism that's, that's built within you, it's like, 
this kind of overreaching weapon of the state that it's almost like you can't really see the pessimism, but it's something that's it's like a microchip in your brain that's just naturally flicks and it's like this is never going to work. Like how can we how can we ever overthrow a government? But you see even the like say I mean, so many examples in the Arab Spring over the last decade that it is possible, man. It totally is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, like, there's definitely problems. There's problems globally. Like, it's, it's unbelievable that we sort of think that the world is, the 21st century is perfect. It's, we'll reach, like, this great point where everyone's living so like in harmony and whatever but then when you see what's going on in hong kong for the riots over there and the protests and the way that the their government's handling it and then i've, I've just read that a couple of days ago uh chile and argentina have uh, broken into protests to fight against their fascist governments and it's really it's coming to like this point where everything no, no one can take anymore no one can take it and it really seems like that coronavirus has a catalyst for this because yeah. it's so clear now that they are like these systems set up aren't here to look after us as much as we thought they were yeah totally it's the whole kind of cap- capitalism thing where capitalism crushes those at the bottom of the ladder the workers who are now because of this coronavirus without work been laid off of their jobs been sacked and it's this it's almost like i mean not that you, you don't want to say you've been wanting for something like this to happen because of course you don't you don't want people losing their jobs you don't want people like going hungry you absolutely do not want that and what i'm going to say is not try to insinuate that in every way but it's crazy that it's taking something like this for it to happen because almost people are now realizing like how everything the whole economic system is set up to to exploit them yeah. and now that they're they're left they've been almost tossed out of it they're like fuck this man like let's do something about it and that is that is a good response to the situation and it is positive to see but even like you're talking there like i just came into my mind see when i don't know if you remember it was maybe a couple of weeks ago we've seen loads of people protesting against uh, the covid19 lockdown measures in america like loads of like obviously like white business owners absolute gammons man like protesting <laughs> protesting outside the white house and government buildings you didn't see that sort of response for donald trump then did you going out shooting tear gas at people it's only when people are actually realizing what the real problem is that they're actually they're treating that with some seriousness yeah you're you're absolutely right yeah when it was white people protesting it was uh yeah. they were just protesting but now that there's black people and minorities protesting they it's have a riot to- it's yeah. called it's called a riot yeah it's this ridiculous man and but again it, it almost doesn't surprise you because Donald Trump has a history of racism and it's, it's incredible, man. Like, I watched this thing on Netflix the other night. It's a documentary called The 13th. It was actually on Tuesday night. I watched it on the Blackout Tuesday, funnily enough. And it's basically about, um, you know, how the kind of history with the justice system in America over the last sort of 40, 50 years where America, I think, it, I think the quote from the documentary was they had, I think it was something like 260 or 250,000 people in jail in America in the 1965 or something like that and over the course of the next 30 years it went up to 2 million and it was basically all about the documentary is brilliant right so I probably won't do it justice in this but it was basically about how obviously um, 
Abraham Lincoln get rid of slavery back in the 1800s and then kind of in America after the civil rights movement and people from minority backgrounds started getting parity or more equal rights to, to white people. It was almost like this was the state enacting and re, like bringing in that slavery again because all the laws that came out about that time with the justice system were all about criminalizing drugs and associating black people with drugs and it was this like very much targeted campaign that when you watch this this documentary like you'll totally see how that state and various presidents like actively targeted that community to put them back in jail it's mm. this this frightening stuff man yeah it really is a, a systematic hate yeah yeah it's crazy isn't it it's totally is man <clears throat> at what point did did people decide no I want to be treated better than a specific race of people. Like, why did that even happen? Like, how, how, I cannot fathom that. I mean, I suppose we all subconsciously crave power, but don't we crave power upon like everyone? Why, why has there been like a hierarchy system in race? Like, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make yeah. sense. No, it's crazy. I mean, you could, you could go right into this. I don't know. Is it maybe that? fear of almost like fear of like something different like yeah i mean i mean obviously everyone likes like people always say no one likes change and stuff like that and i don't know i, I, I mean what, who came up with the who had the quote was it nelson mandela it was, it was something like children are like fully love and people are like you're taught to hate people you don't have it naturally built in you and I don't know. I don't really know, man. I almost feel it as a, as a system of oppression by the government who, to almost disguise their own shortcomings, which leads people to, um, for example, not having jobs or be made redundant and all the rest of it. They almost like work together with the media to blame it on the other guy that's not almost capable of defending himself because he's in a minority group. I mean, that's, that's how I think it kind of classically um, comes about. Maybe in, in Britain as well, obviously, you've seen it with Brexit. Everyone was blaming foreigners for losing jobs and undercutting them and all this absolute garbage and so many absolute garbage statistics came out of that Vote Leave campaign. And I, I, oh, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's a terrible world we live in. It really is. It's almost, you're seeing the rise of right-wing fascist groups and parties over the course of the last 10, 15 years all over Europe. America, you've got a bloody fascist leader in charge, and I just feel like people are people are really scared now, and they're just looking for someone to blame without realizing the people to blame are the state and capitalism that just keeps them buried in the ground. Um, I have to disagree at one point there, though. That I, I, I don't think the world is full of hate. I think that the world is actually full of good people, full of love, and full of compassion. And I think that there's just a, a small group of people with the loudest voice that scream and shout just hate all the time but i mean i i really i think that genuinely i think that inherently everyone's nice everyone i mean even you said we're we're born and then we're taught to hate we're taught racism we're taught segregation um but i think that we're we're all good people to begin with and no, then, totally, man. Totally, totally, man. I, I, I don't. I, I apologize if that's how I came across. I just kind of <laughs> meant that. It's definitely, definitely see it on the rise, and obviously yeah. that's 
that's that's just an, ex- an example like the just like almost like the, the total vitriol with which conversations conducted at the minute it's that in itself like obviously you've seen it in the uk over brexit and the rise of social media then i don't know what it is it's almost just like i think almost like the whole social media thing it's a whole like, facelessness thing behind that like you'll never almost like face any repercussions for your actions and you're just inherently a nasty bastard on it like some yeah. people i don't i don't really get it but don't get me wrong the world is fully love man 100 percent um I, I, I agree with you there on the social media aspect. I mean, like, it's... I actually, I, I read an interesting thing about how, like, we're basically fed hate on social media because we're more likely to engage with hate than we are with good. So, I mean, mm-hmm. social media is literally the breeding ground for hate as well. But the uh, yeah. idea of, like, you you don't have to, like, face any anything by saying anything on social media is so true because, like, I mean... If I wanted to say something that sounded like outlandish or outrageous or whatever in front of you, yeah, in person, and I said it, you could just batter me. So I wouldn't say. <laughs> but if I yeah. say it too, there's much less fear because there's very little you do. You don't know where I live. You don't know where I go or what I do. You, I have I I can live freely knowing that I just said this like outrageous thing to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think even just the kind of general media has got a massive issue with that because I think by given, I mean, obviously we live in a democratic society or at least we're uh, told we live in a democratic society, certainly. Um, but I think almost like given the media, given the platform to all these these bigots like Nigel Farage to bigots like Boris Johnson, bigots to bigots like Donald Trump. It, what, what that then happens is that people that almost like hold these beliefs inwardly and don't don't vocalize them because they know it's wrong when they see like on the back page of a newspaper Boris Johnson saying immigration is a problem in this country or Nigel Farage in front of a, a billboard with a picture of of people trying to get into the UK it, it almost like it basically gives them permission to put this stuff out there because they know it's not going to be as, as fought as hard because it's if, if, if this is happening in the media if this is happening in Sky News if this is happening in the papers then oh, maybe I can start speaking about this now. And the problem yeah. is then when you get results like, for example, the Brexit vote, which, again, I voted to remain in the European Union, and I know there was certainly valid reasons for people wanting to to leave Europe, and I don't dispute that, but for me, a lot of that was based on immigration. And when you see this, this almost this racist rhetoric getting absolutely... Yeah thrown about every single day in the media and then that wins it almost gives these people a voice and they think that they're billy big boys now and they can just go about spouting it yeah you're totally right yeah um i guess if, if the most sort of like technically speaking the most powerful entity in your country being like boris johnson or donald trump is saying it then you're definitely going to get away with saying it um, yeah, totally but yeah, that's the problem. Also, I just remembered there, just when you you uh, mentioned Nelson Mandela, I actually met a woman who, when she was young, Nelson Mandela hid in her house. Like, her parents hid him in their house uh, from the police. Oh, I, I just remember why I remember that. How interesting is that, though, right? That's weird. Where was that? Was that, uh, was that in South Africa? Yeah, yeah. She lived in South Africa. I, yeah. I, just, I don't know why that just popped into my head there. But... Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, they were white actually. The, the parents were uh-huh. white, she, and that's why uh, they were like, they volunteered to take them in and because they wouldn't. That is, I, that's amazing, man. Like, yeah. I know I've never been to South Africa, 
but excuse me, I know what it can be like. I've got, I've got, I've actually got family who are South African white people, and we don't speak to them because they're extremely racist. So, especially at that time, man, that must have been uh, good on them for doing that. By the way, good on them for doing that, man. But if he was, he would be someday. See if we're, if we're talking about um, artists that we'd like to interview. If Nelson Mandela was was still alive, he'd be wow, he'd be incredible interviewing it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. In terms of politics, I mean, there's countless like incredible people. I mean, to be honest, I w- I'd be quite interested talking to Boris Johnson for a bit. You you'd get a, at least a good sound bite out of that from talking to him. <laughs> you would, but for, there's just almost no room for discussion with that man. He's, he he literally barely he barely strings a coherent sentence together at the best of times. So you'd have a laugh. You'd probably you'd probably be able to defeat him quite easily in a debate. I think so. It's always good for the self-confidence, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that strange? Isn't that strange that, that that man is leading our country? But you're right, he, he just babbles and, and doesn't, he isn't very articulate. And it seems quite foolish. Yet he's yeah, he's the person that's in charge. That's oh, it's crazy. Again, I, 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 you can tell I've been watching a lot of TV. I watched, um, I don't know if you've seen it before. It was a Channel 4 sort of film documentary thing. But it's on Netflix now. It's called Brexit, Uncivil War. And it's basically about, um, so starring ben, Benedict Cumberbatch is Dominic Cummins. So obviously Dominic Cummins was the sort of mastermind before the, uh, behind the, the Vote Leave campaign, which won, uh, Bre- well, <laughs> basically enabled Britain to leave European Union. And, Benedict Cumberbatch is great and one of my favourite actors, but they've got this really young guy that plays Boris Johnson on it, right? And I was like, oh God, here we go, because he was so young, he didn't really look like Boris Johnson, but oh, what an accurate portrayal he gave of him. It's just, oh, it's hilarious, man. Like, you've just got, I think it was like some, I mean, I don't know how factually true the programme was. I think it starts off with saying like, we've kind of sensationalised some bits, but you've just got Boris Johnson on, like, you know how the, the big bus they had that said, uh, we're sending 300 million every week to the EU, let's let's give it to our H- NHS, like, let's take back control. And he's asked by somebody outside the bus about Turkey, and like one of the papers was like, oh, are we really at risk, Boris, of like having 79 million people coming into this country? And he's like, well, well, well that, that's actually just the, the population as a, as a whole. And then like his advisors are looking at him like, don't fucking say that, don't say that. And he's like, oh, a quick photo and then we'll go. <laughs> He's just so thick, man. Uh, yeah, that seems like that would be pretty accurate because he is ridiculous. I, th- I think it would be would to be fair, mate. Um, yeah, so the world was pretty weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's a weird place, man. We went off on a wee tangent there, but it's always good. I always like talking about these things in podcasts because I think maybe a lot of people are quite scared to talk about them, but it's definitely something you need to speak about and give a platform to 100%. I mean, I must say, I don't know much about politics. I'm not very well versed in politics. But what I do know is that I like people and I like people living uh, in peace and harmony. And that is what I would like to portray. So yes. a political party that want to uh, promote that agenda, then I'll vote for them. Until then, yeah, sounds good. Doing such. Um, are you studying politics, did you say? No, I done well. I've I've got a degree in politics and international relations. I finished two or three years ago now. Um, right. So yeah, I done that. Yeah, enjoyed that. You're probably getting into teaching at some point, <laughs> given it's only natural progression. Is is that a, a normal route to take? 
well, I think oh, everyone makes the joke, like when you get a sort of humanities degree in like politics or history, then it's pretty much the only job you can get. So, uh, of course, that's not true, but um, I think it is a pretty common path to take, yeah. But my Daisy podcast are not over yet, so we'll stick that in the back burner just in case it all fails. <laughs> what, uh, what inspired you to study politics in the first place? Um, it was probably my dad, to be honest. My dad was uh, very political um, when he was growing up, obviously, um, in the 80s, living under Thatcher. It was pretty hard times in Scotland, and he certainly felt that, and he moved to London, and he almost seen seen that firsthand. So he would always be speaking to me when we were younger about kind of reminiscing about old times. He was in the militant, and he would always talk about that and the sort of figures who were prominent at that time. And I think just kind of naturally from there, the music I started listening to was always like political, like the Smiths, the Clash, Pink Floyd certainly had that sort of, that element to them and really liked modern studies at school, was really interested in how the world around us works, how states function, how people vote, kind of everything about it and was always interested in like theories behind it, like socialism and talking about capitalism and stuff like that as well. So kind of naturally came from there and went to uni and really enjoyed that but I also did at uni I started off like I had to do three different courses so I had to do if I'm doing a humanities one I had so I done politics and I done English lit and I done creative writing and journalism as well and eventually dropped English lit went for a few years with politics and like the creative writing and journalism so that kind of linked in pretty nicely but and then my last year I just saw like focused on the single honors of politics just was really interesting the probably the best the best topic I done like the best class I done on it was probably um, on feminism like that that blew me away man like some of the texts I read in that class were absolutely amazing but even at the time it's I think it, feminism gets this really bad kind of rap for some strange reason and it was kind of summed it up it was only me and one other guy in a class of thirty that chose to do it which was it's quite disheartening but fingers crossed hopefully if they've done it in a few years after there's more people joined in but I absolutely loved doing politics and. Obviously, the band ended up being pretty political, whether people love it or hate it. Um, it is what it is. So, aye. Um, so, when you go into your next musical project, do you think you're going to take as much politics with you? Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want to be because for the whole time I was in Bad Hombres, my my thought process was there's not really many other people singing about the sort of topics we were singing about in our songs. And I still believe that. Um, what I'll still take the politics stuff with us and have it there, but I don't want it to be like the main focus of right. the band. And I think, so for example, we we sung songs like Treason and the Guillotine, for example. And I mean, it's, it doesn't take a genius to work out what that was about. Um, I think we cert we certainly nailed our colours to the mast and went like very extreme with it, um, which is maybe. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I love that song and I'm proud that I wrote it, but. I think in, in the future, if we're going to talk about politics in our music, which we probably will at some point, I'd be a lot more subtle with it and maybe talk about sort of, I don't know, diff different subjects, talk about different subjects. It's it's one of those things, it was something I was really passionate about. I still am really passionate about, and I've, I've played music with an ethos that totally supported that. But with this new project, I think it's just going to be more focused on the actual sort of sonic aspect of it and the sound as opposed to the lyrics don't get me wrong lyrics are massive and they'll continue to be massive but i think the, the whole thing with the, the political thing was we were seeing ourselves as a punk band 
And for me, it's not really authentic if you're in a punk band and you're not singing about politics. Um, certainly some of your songs, I think you need that. Don't get me wrong, the whole kind of punk ethos and attitude is about doing what the fuck you want, whenever you want, sing about what you want, and that is great. We just wanted to sing about politics, but we, we now, I don't want to pigeonhole ourselves into anything like that. I want to talk about like actual proper human emotions and feelings and stuff like that, not to get all soppy and not that I'm going to start writing ridiculous love songs. That's certainly not going to be the case, but just want to kind of give, give us more of a, I'm kind of more of a diverse range of topics to talk about. Cause I think certainly that project, it was, it was only politics and I don't think that was the right way to go about it. So that's one of the reasons behind the new thing that we want to give ourselves almost like a diverse range of issues to talk about. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it. Um, is there anything you want to want to talk about? Any closing words? Anything you want to plug before you go? Um, no, man. Just what to say. I've really enjoyed this, man. I'm really looking forward to, to listening to the rest of the episodes you've got, man. It's been a really interesting chat. Um, anything I want to plug? Absolutely not. Um, I think people should just use this time when a lot of bad things are going on in the world just to get themselves educated, read up on loads of the injustice that's going on in the world just now sign petitions donate if you can i know it's a, a difficult financial time for millions of people but um every little helps to steal tesco's favorite slogan um and i just i think especially now just educating yourself and in the future look to actually make a, a change is going to be a big thing so do that and you're you're doing all right yeah absolutely well thank you very much it's been a great chat no problem at all thanks tom